0: Chapter ten of Stories of Old Greece and Rome by Emily Kip Baker. This Librivox recording is in the public domain. CHAPTER ten. Mercury Mercury was the son of Jupiter and Maya, the goddess of the plains, and from the day of his birth he was a most remarkable infant, even for a god. When scarcely a day old, he sprang from his mother's arms, and ran some distance off to where a tortoise-shell was lying on the ground. Picking this up, he bored holes in its sides, stretched strings across it, and began to play. Thus it was that the first lyre was made. Proud of this beginning to his day's adventures, Mercury ran away again towards evening, when his mother was asleep, and roamed about the fragrant meadows where Apollo kept his herd of cattle. The pasturage was rich, and the oxen were fat, and the mischievous young god, only a day old, decided to have some of them for his dinner. He took fifty of the herd and tied branches of leaves to their feet, so that their hooves might leave no print on the smooth turf, and drove them to a quiet spot far away from the meadow. Here he killed and ate two of the oxen, and kept the rest in hiding for another day's feast. Then he hurried back to his mother, who had not yet wakened. WHEN APOLLO FOUND LATE THAT EVENING THAT FIFTY OF HIS CATTLE WERE GONE, HE SEARCHED, BUT COULD NOT FIND THEM. AS HE WAS ABOUT TO GIVE THEM UP AS LOST, HE REMEMBERED THAT A SON HAD BEEN LATELY BORN TO JUPITER, WHOM THAT DIVINE RULER HAD APPOINTED TO BE THE GOD OF THIEVES. SUSPECTING THAT HIS STOLEN OXEN WERE IN THE HANDS OF THIS MASTER-THIEF, APOLLO HASTENED TO WHERE MAYA AND THE BABE WERE SLEEPING. Rousing the child angrily, the irate god accused him of the theft, but Mercury protested his innocence, and asked how could an infant but a day old ever do such an unheard-of thing? Apollo was unconvinced, however, by this appearance of candour, and feeling sure of the boy's guilt, dragged him off to Olympus, where Mercury found it impossible to pretend any longer that he knew nothing of the missing oxen. He acknowledged his thieving, showed Apollo the hiding-place of the stolen cattle, and in return for those that he had eaten, gave the sun-god his wonderful new lyre. This gift so delighted Apollo, that he presented the day-old Prince of Thieves with a magic wand, which, when held between any who were quarrelling, would cause all anger and strife to cease. To test the value of the wand, Mercury thrust it between two snakes who were struggling over the possession of a wounded bird, and immediately they twined themselves around the staff, and remained coiled together in perfect friendliness this pleased mercury so much that he bade them stay there for ever as long as the wand should last there were two other valuable gifts that the god gave the young mercury a winged cap and a pair of winged sandals so that as the messenger of the gods he might be fleet of foot on his many errands to and from olympus hastily beneath his feet he bound the fair ambrosial golden sandals worn TO BEAR HIM OVER THE OCEAN LIKE THE WIND, AND O'ER THE BOUNDLESS LAND. BRYANT'S HOMER'S ODYSSEY, BOOK Five, LINE 56 Among the varied duties assigned to Mercury was that of conducting the souls of the dead to Hades, but this did not occupy all the gods' time, and he still had many hours in which to go on other missions. In spite of his rather doubtful reputation for honesty, the gods often sought his assistance in their difficulties, and in one very delicate commission he proved himself a competent ally this was when jupiter went wooing the maiden io the jealous and vengeful juno was always on the watch whenever her lord took a fancy to go wandering about the earth so to woo the gentle io unseen by his wife required some diplomacy on jupiter's part accordingly he spread a thick cloud over the meadow where he was wont to meet the maiden and trusted that its appearance would not arouse juno's suspicions he also took the precaution to visit io at the time when the watchful queen of heaven was accustomed to sleep but one day juno awoke sooner than usual and finding jupiter absent she at once surmised that he was adventuring again in some love affair when she looked down at the earth she saw the thick cloud that hung over the meadow and noticed that it never altered its position no matter how the winds blew feeling sure that this was some trick intended to deceive her the wrathful goddess glided down to the earth and appeared at the astonished jupiter's side but not before he had had time to change io into a heifer golden sandaled juno walked about the meadow gathering flowers then she asked her husband why he was lingering there so far from bright olympus jupiter answered that he was amusing himself by creating a heifer This explanation did not deceive Juno, but she pretended to be satisfied, and praised the beautiful creature's glossy skin and large soft eyes. Then she demanded it of Jupiter as a gift, and the ruler of the gods, not knowing how to refuse, consented. The triumphant goddess led away the heifer, and put her in charge of Argus. Now Argus had a hundred eyes, and though he often went to sleep, some of his eyes always kept awake. So Juno felt sure that no device of Jupiter's could enable Io to escape from the watchful guardian who never wholly slept. Meanwhile Jupiter was in despair over this unhappy ending to his wooing, and sought the help of Mercury, who often lent his ready wits to gods and mortals in distress. Laying aside his cap and sandals and snake-entwined wand, by which he might easily be recognized, Mercury went down to the earth in the disguise of a shepherd. With his pipes in his hand he strolled through the country, until he came to the mountainside where Argus sat watching the heifer, and when he began to play, the music was so sweet that Argus begged him to stop a while, that he might listen longer to the wonderful playing. The wily god consented, and as he piped on some of the hundred eyes grew drowsy with sleep, but some of them stayed open and watchful. The droning of his pipes kept on, and to add to the drowsiness of his music, Mercury began to tell stories in a low sing-song tone that cast a kind of spell over the eyes that were still watching. He told of Apollo's affection for the youth Hyacinthus, whom Zephyrus, god of the west wind, also loved, and how, when the sun-god was playing quoits with his friend, Zephyrus, in a fit of jealous anger, blew aside the missile hurled by Apollo, so that it struck Hyacinthus and killed him. But the sun-god would not let the fair youth be forgotten, and changed each drop of his blood into delicate white flowers, which were for ever to bear his name. Then Mercury told of Isculapius, son of Apollo and Coronis, who was entrusted to the care of Chiron, the most famous of the centaurs, and was also taught by his divine parent the art of healing in this he became so skilful that he even restored the dead to life and so incurred the wrath of Jupiter who, fearing that Aesculapius would receive undue honour, killed him with a thunderbolt. To these stories Mercury added many more that told of the loves of the gods, and at last all the hundred eyes of Argus were closed. Then Mercury, drawing a sharp sword, cut off the great head as it drooped forward, and rolled it down the rocks. When Juno heard of the death of her faithful servant, she was terribly angry, and vowed that she would bring punishment on those who had been the cause of his slaying. But before doing this she commemorated the fidelity of Argus by taking his hundred eyes and putting them in the tail of her favorite bird, the peacock. Then she carried out her revenge by sending an enormous gadfly to torment poor Io, who was still in the form of a heifer. From one country to another the unhappy creature wandered, and once in a desperate effort to escape her tormentor she plunged into the sea, which was afterwards called Ionian in her honor across this she swam and reached the shore of africa but even here the gadfly followed her and the vengeance of juno never allowed her a moment's rest jupiter could do nothing to ease her sufferings by interceding for her to the remorseless queen of heaven but at last juno consented to send away the gadfly and to restore io to her own form if jupiter would promise never to visit her again reluctantly the ruler of the gods agreed to this demand and Io became once more a beautiful maiden. When Jupiter went wandering on the earth in search of adventures other than the wooing of some maiden, he often made Mercury his companion, for this slender young god was his favourite among all the dwellers of Olympus. One day both the gods, disguised as travellers, stopped at the hut of an aged couple named Philemon and Baucis, and pretending weariness they asked to be allowed to rest. The old couple were delighted that strangers had honoured their humble roof, and in order to extend the hospitality still further, Philemon decided to kill the one thing he had that could furnish meat for the guests. This was a large fat goose, who had no mind to be killed and eaten, even to supply a meal for gods, so when the old man tried to catch him, he sought refuge between Jupiter's knees. When the ruler of the gods learned that the couple intended to sacrifice their one possession, he was greatly touched by their kindness, but would not allow them to kill the trusting bird that had fled to him for protection. Then the goodwife wife Baucus, set before her guests olives, and cornel berries preserved in vinegar, and cheese with eggs cooked in the ashes. She laid earthen cups and dishes on the table, which she had already rubbed with sweet-smelling herbs, and placed beside them an earthen pitcher full of their best wine when the simple meal was going on and the guests were partaking of a dessert of apples and wild honey baucis was so fluttered over her duties as hostess that she did not observe the pitcher but old philemon looked on in astonishment at the wine which renewed itself in the pitcher as fast as it was poured out he whispered to his wife to watch this miracle and when she too saw the never empty pitcher she was filled with a vague terror and looked fearfully at the smiling strangers So Jupiter told the old man and his wife, who their guests really were, and bade them ask of him some boon, swearing by the terrible river Styx, to grant whatever they might desire. Then Philemon and Baucis begged that they might be allowed to serve the gods as long as they lived, and that when their time of service was over they might die together. Pleased with the simplicity of this request, Jupiter gladly promised that all should be as they wished and he transformed their humble cottage into a beautiful temple, where they might worship the gods all their days. And when after years of faithful service Philemon and Bacchus died, Jupiter changed them into lordly oaks, which stood before the pillars of the temple as a monument to their fidelity. End of chapter 10